Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And now, from the University of Chicago Institute of Politics and CNN Audio, The Axe Files, with your host, David Axelrod. One of the great partnerships that I've had in my life has been with David Plouffe. We were business partners in the campaign media world. He was the manager of the Barack Obama campaign in 2008 when I was the chief strategist. We've traveled a lot of miles together and we've been able to be part of some great things. And he is one of the sharpest and most incisive and most thoughtful thinkers about American politics on this planet. So I thought it'd be great to sit down with my old friend in the wake of this election and talk about what we've seen and where we think things are going. Here's that conversation. My old buddy, my old partner, David Pluff, it's good to see you on the other side of of this election. How you doing, first of all? It's been four long years, Axe. For uh, yeah. for us in the country, so I tell you, I you know I was confident this time. We're talking Monday afternoon. I felt confident heading to the election, but uh, I feel you know I've been waiting for this you know kind of moment for four years, and it feels a lot better than I thought it would, which is something you know. Yeah, there was this sense of relief, at least in part. You know, half the country, in the other half, um, despondency. Yes, yeah, which is you know I want to talk about that, but. We'll get to that because that is a challenge for the country. It's a challenge for Biden. It's a challenge for Democrats down the line. But um, talk to me about how you uh, I mean, let's let's share our thoughts about how Biden put this thing together. How did he and could anybody else have put it together in retrospect? I'm not sure they could have, not of that field. I mean, Trump ended up producing such strong turnout and holding on and in some cases building on his rural margins. Yeah. So it took, I mean, let's just look at Pennsylvania. Now, let's be, you and I both know we're not going to know what really happened in this election for months. But as we begin to get 100% of counties in, you know, you have a better picture separate from the exits. You know, Pennsylvania, I think he added 260,000 votes in those four counties outside of Pennsylvania. Uh, He wins back Erie. Wins back Northampton County, does better in the blue-collar areas. You look at Milwaukee, same thing. I mean, or Wisconsin. You know, he adds to the suburban numbers outside of Milwaukee and Madison, uh, but also does, you know, well in those wow blue-collar counties outside of Milwaukee. So he was a great candidate, I think, to put that together. Now, my guess is some of that suburban vote would have gone to whoever the Democratic nominee is. But you look at what he was able to do in these blue-collar counties, which is, you know, 
overperformed Clinton 5, 6, 7, 8%. And most of those blue-collar counties have a decent amount of vote. They're not super small rural counties. Right. So, um, and he just looked like the stable, safe alternative to Trump. So um, they, you know, Jen O'Malley and that team ran a great race. He did what he needed to do uh, in the two debates. I thought their advertising was amazing. I really yeah. thought it was was yeah. really some of the best we've seen. Kudos um, and, to Mike Donilon. Yeah, Mike Donilon and that team did a great Their job. So, you know, you never know. Um, but the notion that somehow, I mean, again, if you look at, so one thing I would like to say, there's always a focus on the election just through the prism of voters. Of course, like activism, volunteers, organization matters, right? So, uh, you know, even if you see, um, you know, African-American turnout not being appreciably higher uh, in Philadelphia, you know, you would have liked to have seen it higher, but there was so much activism. So many of those people in Philadelphia were working in the counties outside of Philadelphia. But it's hard for me to say that a candidate who couldn't have done this well in the blue collar and the sort of outer suburban areas, I don't think they would have won just given this. It didn't end up being a particularly close race nationally, and the Electoral College may not be close. But Biden seems like of that field, he was the best candidate to do what you needed to do uh, in, you know, Erie County in Scranton, um, in, um, you know, Racine, Wisconsin, but also put it together in Arizona. You know, his numbers amongst the Latino vote there was quite strong. He still did well in suburban. So um, he seems to be what the doctor ordered. I think he's probably what the doctor ordered for the country, but certainly in this election. Yeah, I mean, it does raise the question moving forward uh, because, you know, as strong a candidate as Biden was in the general election, it was it was a chore for him to win the nomination. Right. And um, that's only going to become more so, I suspect, that we're, you know, you're not going to see another old white guy <laughs> for uh, right. getting nominated by the Democratic Party. So um, let, let's reserve that for a second. You mentioned the minority turnout. There's no doubt that the suburbs, uh, the suburbs shifted, I think, in the exit polls, and it may turn out to be more um, seven points in in Biden's direction. Uh, and they were, uh, you know, you look at Pennsylvania, they were, you know, when those votes came in from those suburban counties, that was, uh, that was a, a difference maker. He did cut Trump's margin, as you mentioned, these blue collar towns. I think he got 35% in the exit polls and we'll see when it all sorts out, but 35% of the non-college white, uh, vote that was seven points higher than Hillary Clinton did. But, you know, you look at, he did get, incredibly, Trump got more of the African-American vote, you know, four points more in the exit poll. We'll see how it all, uh, when we look at the, the hard numbers. In There were places, Miami, obviously, uh, the Rio Grande Valley in Texas, where he did really well with uh, Hispanic voters. And, um, you know, I think maybe we're a little too pat about how we assume people are going to vote here. Um, and that needs to be looked at right. as to why Trump Relic. did so well in those areas, yeah. you know, or relative, well, relative to where he did before, even right. after four years in which, you know, he you know, frankly lifted up white supremacism. Right. Well, yeah, so after every election, you know, each party, we're still a two-party system. We'll see how much longer we are, by the way, but we're a two-party system. So, you know, parties um, overperformed in some places, so you want to figure out how you maintain that and grow and where you had challenges. So uh, even when you win an election like this um, at the presidential level, we struggled, obviously, at the House level and down ballot. 
But there's a, you know, right. So there's already been some really great reporting done by journalists who've gone down to the Rio Grande Valley and talked to voters. So we've seen the data. So the data, I mean, the biggest swing in the country for Trump was Star County, Texas, right on the border. And you see some of the reporting. These tend to be culturally conservative voters, as we know. A lot of them work or are dependent on the oil industry. So that attack may have been more resident there than it was in western Pennsylvania. Um, Many of them are gun owners. Uh, Many of them directly or have family members who work in law enforcement. Um, And so we have to understand Miami-Dade is different than that dynamic. But, you know, listen— Al Gore lost Florida for a lot of reasons, but, you know, at the top of the list was Elan Gonzalez, where he then got about half the vote of the Cuban community Clinton did. And so, you know, we were able to, as you know, in 12, barely win it. Um, Now, you know, it's gone back to where it was 25 years ago uh, and some problems in the Venezuelan community. So then, but then you see Arizona, Nevada, um, obviously there's huge uh, pockets of Hispanic vote in places like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, North Carolina. We'll learn more of that as the vote comes in, but it looks like Biden did what he needed to do there. So um, obviously this community needs to be treated um, quite uniquely depending on, and listen, what it speaks to me is the education divide in this country and our politics is growing more and more pronounced. So here you have, you know, Hispanic voters on the border, uh, most of them not college educated based on the data, you know, moving more in the Republican direction, (laughs) just as you have college educated whites, uh, men and women moving more in the Democratic direction. So I think that's what we have to watch carefully. But it was also, if you look at some of the rural areas in the Carolinas with high African-American population, that seems to be where Trump overperformed the, the most. Now, we'll see if that also is the case in Georgia. I don't know. So I don't, you know, um, so so there's so much we'll learn from the actual county data when that gets appended to the voter file. But again, a lot of those voters would be a little more culturally conservative, mostly non-college. Uh, and the other thing is, I think this argument, and this came out, I think it was the New York Times or the Post uh, recently who, di- who sent reporters down to Star County on the border in Texas, They were concerned, so many of these are small business people, that Biden would shut down the economy, despite the fact that he said he wouldn't. So there's so much we have to learn about this, and we can't gloss it over, because if we want to be competitive in Texas and Florida, those numbers cannot stand. I mean, there's no way to win Florida if Democrats are only winning Miami-Dade County by 18 points. Yeah, it does speak to, you know, um, there was a lot of establishment and elite ridicule, and I, at times, probably was guilty of it, of Trump. But... Um, you know, they said two things. First of all, they said that they were going to bring out a bigger vote, rural vote, than people recognized. And there's a question on polling that I want to ask you about relative to that. But, you know, these messages that were so discordant to people who aren't, weren't going to vote for Trump right. were motivating to people who did. The, the hammering of socialism. I mean, you know, Joe Biden, as he said... <laughs> to Americans, you know, doesn't look, sound, or feel like a socialist. But uh, Trump hammered away at the party, uh, and just using the word, uh, you know, he he branded the word. He's a brander. He branded that word in a place like South Florida with Cuban and and and, and Venezuelan uh, emigres. You know, that is. That is a powerful word. I think in part, you know, rural America, right. uh, that is a powerful word. You know, he, you know, there, I think he was r- rightly uh, criticized for the way he framed the social justice movement. But the defund police thing, that stuck in a lot of places uh, yep. and, and, uh, and hurt uh, 
and hurt Biden. And so, you know, and these rallies that were irresponsible uh, from a public health standpoint, you know, helped him in terms of turnout in the places where he went uh, and in branding these messages that uh, some heard as outrageous and other others heard as uh, fr- frightening and motivating. Um, right. So, you know, the blunderbuss that it seemed was, you know, there was a method to their madness, and he, he out, he's going to get seventy-two million votes. Right. Well, so but the one thing about the rallies is it probably did help him because they were really smart about where they went, limited yes. a little bit by airports, but they went into smaller communities with a lot of you know smaller counties in those markets my guess is it did hurt them in the suburbs though because some of those voters saw that and said it was irresponsible but listen two elections in a row now 16 it was kind of a super ramshackle operation this one better funded um although they were you know um, deeply irresponsible with the money but you know in 16 they said we're going to break the blue wall nobody believed them they did this time it was we're going to jack up historic turnout in rural areas um, and we're going to get a better uh, percentage of the vote share amongst Hispanic men and African-American men. And they did that. Yes. So, you know, the truth is, you know, he's been an awful president. And, you know, I think he could have won this race. So that's like malpractice, Trump. But, you know, he was a tough guy to beat. I mean, you look at Wisconsin, you know, he put up a million six hundred thousand votes. That's a lot of vote for Biden yeah. to have to overcome. And he did yeah. that in state after state. I mean, you look at the turnout in Texas. I mean, it's just astronomical. I mean, Biden, some of these states remind me of 04 with Kerry Bush, where Kerry put up the kind of numbers in Ohio. You'd say, oh, it's done. Kerry's won. Um, And Biden just had to put up a tremendous amount of vote, uh, which he was able to do to their credit. Yeah. You know, speaking of Georgia, there is that 30-30 rule in Georgia. If if, if the African-American vote is 30 percent of the total and a candidate, a Democrat candidate can get 30 percent of the uh, of the white vote, then they're they're in a position to win. He landed almost exactly on those numbers. Um, And again, I'm not sure another candidate uh, would have done that uh, because he carved just enough out of these, some of these, uh, uh, these, uh, you know, working class white voters to, it wasn't much, but it was probably more than another candidate could get. And obviously in Georgia, the burgeoning suburbs there, yeah, uh, is changing the nature of that state. I mean, well, Georgia- the question that is going, you know, acts is, you know, what we were able to do in 08 really accelerated Colorado and Virginia becoming now deep blue states, at least presidentially. You know, is that where Arizona and Georgia will be by the end of the decade? And yeah. if so, you know, that's couldn't be more important. No, I think that, it, you know, it may just be that the that the blue wall is going to be harder and harder to defend uh, because of depopulation, uh, depopulation and shifts to to the Sun Belt, and that these Sun Belt states become a, a new blue wall uh, for Democrats. That may be uh, that may be uh, where we're going. I mentioned the polling. I want to talk about sort of what you felt and what I felt on a, a election night. Once again, state polls. I mean, we had a Washington Post poll a few days before the election. That was, you know, I think everybody knew was a little bit robust, but was 17 points for Biden. Most, you know, there was an eight point average margin in uh, Michigan, uh, six points in Pennsylvania. Once again, all of them were deficient. Um, Yeah. And I think, you know, the question is, 
why and how do you keep missing this rural upsurge? Right. Well, you know, there's going to be months and and years of analysis about that. Everybody thought they course corrected after 16, and apparently they didn't. And listen, clearly the Biden analytics um, had the race closer. That's why they were so focused. And they made the right choices. Right. Um, and, you know, you and I both still see some of the analytics bouncing around. And, yes. and and while they were more bullish than the outcome, I think they were directionally right, thankfully. But, you know, first of all, you know, listen, I'm not a pollster, okay? But I still haven't gotten a great answer for <laughs> he, this question. He declares <laughs> defensively. Right. But then I'm going to, like, talk about it. So I've still not got a great answer from anyone. Like, okay, I think, like, 1% to 2% of the people actually take polls online or offline. That has to somehow pollute the outcome. And I'm not talking about, like, the— you know, the shy Trump voter, like that's, I don't think we've got an answer to that, number one. And number two, I just think we have to be, um, uh, once again, you know, the turnout, well, you and I have talked about this. Polls are not great for estimating turnout. They, they can mm-hmm. sort of get a sense of that. But, um, and, and once again, uh, so I think we, we're over-relying on horse race, even though that ended up being wrong and not properly factoring in turnout. And you know, I think you and I both believed all along that Trump, if he brought huge turnout, was going to be tough to beat. And we're consistent with that all the way. What it looked like, though, the bottom was falling out with the rest of the electorate, and that didn't end up happening. Um, so I think one thing, listen, we should be careful because we have seen but between eight and 12, 12 and 16, 16, 20, there are meaningful swings. But, um, you know, I think there has to be more common sense applied here. So when you see Iowa looking like Biden could win, um, you know, or Ohio looking like Biden could win, um, you know, but then you look at the demographics of those states, um, you know, I think we kind of kind of discount that, you know, um, and the same thing with Georgia. When I look for a while, like maybe Georgia couldn't win earlier in the cycle. It's like, I don't know if you look at the demographics of what's happening in other states, you could put something together interesting there. But, you know, my sense is uh, it did not capture the turnout dynamic, which I think polls are not really um, built to do. But so it didn't properly capture that. Uh, once again, I think it did overstate um, it, it. You know, even though Biden made some gains, it overstated um what he was going to do with rural voters and exurban voters, uh, although he did improve on Hillary, certainly on the latter, less on yeah. rural. Yeah. Um, and even in suburban, it looked like, you know, I think we're going to see different pockets in different parts of the state, but there's clearly some places where it overstated that. And then it didn't capture uh, in Florida. I mean, there was that one um, like DEFCON 1 poll in Miami-Dade that suggested the numbers weren't what you'd like. That was about, if I recall, six weeks out from the election. Yeah. And that ended up being more right than not. But I also think that, and what, what that leads me to is, um, you know, it it was good to see more state polls than in 16, but they ended up being pretty wrong. Um, let's, let's do a lot more county polls. Mm-hmm. I just think you get a richer view of the race. Now, to be clear, a lot of the congressional district polls that were done by the media were off, also off. Yeah, that and I, I saw me. actually state yeah. legislative polls that me didn't too. quite capture In Texas, the, in Pennsylvania. Yeah. So yeah. it was not just the media polls. It was, it was Democratic polling as well. So uh, this is a huge—and, of course, it doesn't matter so that we have a better sense of where the race is as observers. <laughs> you know, campaigns make strategic decisions based on polls and where they think the race is. And, you know, when you and I used to work together, you know, once every 20 polls, you get— one that's wrong and you make bad decisions based on that and so sort of that means across the board democrats were overstating their position uh and probably did a little less defensive work than they shouldn't have should have done but um this is a huge question I, i don't know what the answer is but um because you can't just say you know just look at the last election and assume that's going to happen more than not well that's of course 
more true than not, there are swings. We've seen them in Georgia. We saw them, um, you know, in Ohio and Iowa. Um, right. You know, Trump, you know, actually added to his rural margins in a lot of places, which we thought was impossible. So I don't know. What are your views on it? I mean, I'd love to hear your. Well, first of all, on this one of 20 polls being wrong, that is true. But the fact is that everybody took comfort in the fact that most of the polls were wrong together. Yeah, and right. so we averaged them together. And we well, that's said, my well, point. Yeah, they were, yeah, yeah. You know, so it's not just a, an effect of getting a bad poll. It's it's something about polling itself in these uh, in these uh, particularly these statewide polls that are that are uh, deficient. You know, um, I, I am uh, I'm I'm thinking about the campaign that we ran in two thousand and eight, and um, why was it that uh, Obama was willing to uh, was was able to win, you know, two hundred and six or whatever more counties than Hillary Clinton? Why did he do better in those counties? And you know, Biden has improved on her number by he he got eighteen or nineteen of them back, um, but still, uh, you know, that's a big drop off from where we were. And you know, there is this tension within the Democratic Party uh, between the emerging majority uh, of the of the Democratic electorate and the activist part of the Democratic electorate and, you know, the nature of how we elect presidents. And, you know, it occurred to me, Barack Obama was a historic president, uh, but we determinedly never talked about that. Never. Right. We didn't talk about race. Um, those who were motivated by the fact that they could elect the first black president, they knew it. Yeah. We didn't have to talk about it. And, um, I, I do, you know, wonder, uh, I think this is going to be a challenge for Democrats because there are, there are elements of the democratic party who, um, for whom, um, those kinds of historic advance uh, advances and breaking down these barriers and so on is fundamental, you know, and it's important for the country. Uh, but, you know, the question is, and I think Biden walked the line pretty carefully. Right. But the question is um, how you message in a way that in a country where we elect by electoral the Electoral College, uh, like I think Democrats are well positioned to win the popular vote from from now to eternity. <laughs> right. Uh, but that, you know, and uh that in a uh, quarter will get you, uh, you know, some bubble gum. That's not, that doesn't make you president as we've uh, discovered. So how, do we, how, how are all of these things balanced? How do you send them messages that in a big diverse country uh, produce enough to allow you to win uh, uh, these races? Obama had a gift in that he could walk into any room and felt comfortable and make people feel comfortable. The message was very much an economic message, and it was an it was an anti-establishment message. And that mix allowed us to win a state like Indiana, hard right. to imagine today. But so his you know, story, you know, uh, you know, people got a sense. This is a guy who knew struggle. You know, uh, raised by a single mom, wasn't given anything. Um, I think he was able to connect. I also think the fact that he was a black candidate, you know, um, to the progressive uh, base, um, 
you know, just gave a lot of permission cover. structure and cover. cover. Right? Let's be real about that, okay? Yeah. He, so he, um, we knew that. Did, we we yeah, always knew, we knew that. It. <laughs> we know, had we running strat- room. He was not room. the most right. progressive candidate right. in 2008. And you know, John yeah. Edwards ran way to the left of him. Yeah. And Hillary did, too. She ran to the left of him as well. And um, But he had been against the war. He was an African-American candidate. It gave him cover uh to 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 uh to chart his own course um and you know that is maybe that's you know that's uh he had rare assets uh, going into it this is going to be but you see these new york times interviews the last couple of days with aoc and connor lamb right and you know yes. i'm proud to be a member of a party that can have both connor lamb and aoc in it <laughs> um but this is going to be the challenge and so um, it's not just the, the Electoral College. I mean, to win the Senate consistently, yes. to maintain a House majority, to win state Absolutely, houses, yeah. it is incontrovertible that we have to be more competitive and reliably competitive in blue-collar, exurban, and rural areas. Like, we are not going to survive the next 20 years, uh, you know, maybe ultimately, given the changes in the country, we will, if we're just getting mamboed in these areas like we are right now. We have to get back to Obama-level numbers. And so now AOC, like, to win red states to w- or reddish districts like you need activism like you know you, it's that's again where you just can't look at at the votes and the demographics like to win votes you need money and you need phone calls and you need door knocking you need activism you need all that so you have to both inspire the base but also create a permission structure so people understand we have to win in really tough areas and i always tell people you know david you and i have lived through this Right. We've won seven of the last eight popular votes, but that's irrelevant. That's like getting the most yards. It's how many points you get. For a Democrat to win the Electoral College, it's really freaking hard. It just is. There are more Republicans uh, in these states who reliably turn out, and there's more conservatives than liberals in them. Uh, so you have to win the moderates. And by the way, Joe Biden won the moderate vote, according to the exit polls, yeah. and the suburban numbers seem to back this up. Yeah. yeah, huge. And that's what you have to do. And you have to turn out tough to turn out voters. So that's just our reality. Um, and, you know, winning primaries in deep blue districts is different than winning districts that lean Republican or states that, you know, that just is. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with more of the Axe Files. And now back to the show. You know, on election night, I was sitting there uh, with Rick Santorum, and in between the our segments, he said, "Well, I don't see how I don't see how Biden wins that Nebraska two district because uh, you know the Republican rep there is 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 winning by a big margin." Uh, well, Biden did win that district, uh, but the Republican rep beat a Democrat candidate who was a uh, a, a validly left candidate. Uh, and did not fit the district as well. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, I think this is a, you know, because we all uh, looked at the numbers going to Election Day. I think everyone believed, including Republicans, by the way, that Again, they would like lose 16, seats. right. They would lose seats. They thought that, you know, they were hoping to hold it to five seats, a net five seats lost. Uh, Democrats were hoping 10, 10 to 15 seats gained. And Republicans will net out nine or ten uh, additional seats in the House. The House will be narrower because Trump brought out a big turnout in uh, uh, a lot of these districts that was unexpected. 
Yeah, that is a question though going forward, which is, you know, not, not like Trump's going to disappear, but, you know, he wasn't on the ballot in 18, and that's one of the reasons we were able to win tough house districts, but he was a presence. He campaigned. He was on the ballot this time, and we see what happens. He brings people out. Like, can they keep that up? Even though they get more reliable turnout than we do, he was a force of nature in terms of turnout. Yeah. He just was. Yeah. And, you know, that to me will be fascinating um, to see. Well, We'll see if he goes away. I mean, the, the reporting today, and it's not surprising to me, said that he's going to immediately announce that he's going to run again in 2024. Uh, now, we'll see. There will be a lot of intervening events. Um, and, Including the loans he owes. Right, I mean, I think exactly. He, I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, that, no, look, he's got some issues. He's yeah, got some issues right. to confront. Yeah. It was interesting. You know, you mentioned election night, though. So, you know, there was like an hour, if I recall, where like Nebraska, too, seemed like the biggest thing in American political history. <laughs> yes. Cause, but, you know, for me, you know, I was always cautious about it, but I thought, you know, we were going to have a bigger night than we did. But, you know, you realized polls aren't reality. And once, you know, I remember, I think I was on like, um, I was on NBC, but I think it was Peacock, their streaming um, platform uh, with, actually, I was on there with, I think, um, uh, Messine and a couple other people in Harman. And, you know, the, the initial Florida numbers came in um, and then they brought in Miami-Dade and Scarborough's like, Look at this, fifty-eight forty with ninety percent reporting. I'm like, that has to be a mistake. You know what I mean? And so for a while there, you're like, shit, could could sixteen be happening again? But you know, you began to see Western Pennsylvania counties. You began to see actually, you know, in in parts of Florida, Biden was doing pretty well despite the hemorrhage in, in Miami Dade. So it became pretty clear to me by eleven or or midnight Eastern um, that Biden should be able to get to two seventy. And you know, by a little deeper in the morning, it looked like um, he should be able to. I wasn't sure he'd win Georgia, but the rest of them that we're talking about now look good. So, but, you know, Biden was the exception. You know, we, we don't win back the Senate. We have a, we should talk about Georgia. We have a chance. Um, but obviously there was a sense we could maybe get to 52, 53, um, yeah. certainly 50. We, we lose seats in the House. We did not have a good day at the State House. So, again, I think that speaks to Biden overperforming um, the rest of the Democrats. Now, part of that's top of the ticket. And we again see how many people don't vote down ballot and it hurts us in races. It's something we have to correct. But, you know, Biden outperformed um, kind of the average Democratic candidate in most places. And, you know, he deserves a lot of credit for that. And his campaign does, too. Yeah. Kamala Harris, obviously historic uh, as well. It strikes me uh, that she she's in a really tough spot <laughs> because you know, it's. I think there's a general sense that Biden won't run again in 2024. He'll be 82, and that, I think that's everyone's assumption. She starts, she walks into the VP's office, never happened before, as the putative frontrunner for the nomination four years from now. And pro the progressive uh, community has made it clear, she's our go-to person. We're going to hold her accountable I mean, she's really the person who they're going to try and leverage uh, to affect the Biden agenda, which, depending on whether Democrats can pull, uh, win two seats in Georgia, but it looks very much like he's going to have a Republican Senate to deal with. You worked in the White House when the Republicans controlled uh, the uh, Senate. Um, a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it seems to me she's going to have to make a bunch of really hard choices because she's going to have to, I think she's going to be expected to stand up for Biden in, in these very tough decisions, but she's, they're all going to go on her account, yeah. not his account. And I, I think that's a tough, 
that's a really tough road to navigate. Yeah. Well, first of all, it was so exciting to see her Saturday night. I knew it would be, but to me, it was oh yeah, um, really one of the the best and, and most powerful images in in recent American history. But I think she and I know this is going to sound naive, but she's got to kind of put twenty four aside for now. Like you know, we're these guys are entering the toughest situation since FDR, even tougher than Obama did back in '09. So she just got to do the job. And listen, at the end of the day, um, with the Republican Senate, if that holds, it's going to be more complicated. But uh, you know, one of the sayings you and I have both heard Joe Biden say a thousand times is "No sense dying on a small cross." Right? right. I think he's going to he's going to swing for things, certainly in the foreign policy arena, where they've got a lot of control over the, the destiny there, executive actions. I'm sure they'll pass a lot of stuff through the House. Um, so I think I think it'll be clear um, that they're swinging for the fences. But right, I mean, I th- but I think she's just got to help Biden, and and she, you know, and and she can, yeah, um, help him a lot. But but there's no doubt that first of all, who knows? Maybe Biden will surprise us and he'll run. But if he doesn't, um, we won't really know the contours of the 24 primary until you know we get deeper into 23. What happens in 22? Where's the economy? Do progressive judge that Kamala has been a disappointment or an ally? But there's no doubt. I think politics has changed. So the notion that a sitting vice president in a time when anybody can sort of spin up a national campaign if they're a compelling candidate using the internet overnight, basically, um, um, you're gonna. It's all not all upside for her um, yeah. because politics has changed, and if people think that she's been uh, too much of an accommodationist to Republicans in the Senate or you know the Joe Mansions of the world, that'll hurt her. But I think she's got and her team's got to put that aside because the worst thing for the country for her for Biden uh, is if they're not all thinking about that. And I think if they do a good enough job, you've got to assume if Biden doesn't run, she'll be in a good position in 23, uh, and if not, she won't. But I agree with you. There's going to be a lot of cross pressures. I um, mean, you already see it. I mean, we just beat Donald Trump and we're all like in these internal knife fights already. You can never win as a vice president if you somehow try and create space between yourself and the president. It looks disloyal. I mean, one of the things I appreciate. Gore tried about- that with Clinton, as you know, on a number of things, and it hurt him. Biden, um, I think, was a great vice president because he was impeccably loyal in public and he was unflinchingly honest in private. And that's what you need to be. And, you know, you basically cast your lot when you sign up for this role. And um, I, I think any attempt to sort of either overtly or covert or, or, or obliquely by stories leaking that the vice president was unhappy with a decision, that would be that would be bad, bad for her. I do think you're right. Anybody can drum up a candidacy. We don't know what's going to happen in 2024. We don't know. You know, yeah, it's conceivable, I guess, that Biden could run. I, I highly doubt it. Um, but you have to believe that um, a she's not just any sitting vice president. She's the first woman. She's the first uh, 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 black and you know Indian American. And I mean, she looks like the emerging Democratic uh electorate and and it'd be hard to um i mean that would be a, th- a hard thing to challenge her in a in a primary i i guess if one person does many could but um but that's you know i mean she she is the putative front runner uh for that so we'll see but i think the, that your advice is the right advice uh, which is you got to just sort of put it out of your head Right, and no secret meetings about 24 happening until, you know, 23. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. exactly, exactly. And by that time, by that time, he, he may indicate to her that that is, uh, that is the way to go. 
You know, we had, when I arrived at the White House, we had 58, 59 Democratic senators. Briefly, we had 60. We had gaudy majorities uh, in the House. It allowed us to do a lot of things. You faced a different reality when you, you uh, we, we uh, I left, you came, you took that role in 2011. The, the failure to capture the Senate, the reduced margins in the House, what does it mean for Biden? You, you could argue it, it's, it, it gives him a way to moderate some of the forces within the Democratic Party. On the other hand, he needs to pass some pretty big yeah. stuff to get the economy going in the right direction, to deal with some of the disparities in, in the wealth, you know, the wealth gap and so on. These are fundamental to, to, uh, to deal with the health care issue, which may become more uh, em- emergent if the Supreme Court throws the Affordable Care Act out. I mean, he has to be able to get some things done. Yeah, well, he does. So first of all, let's talk about Georgia, though. So, you know, I think even we saw, you know, Joe Biden's won it. At least he's up by 10,000 votes. Stacey Abrams almost won it. So the numbers are there for us. This isn't where you're saying we have to pull off an absolute miracle. Right. right. Um, you know, I think Republicans do get reliably better turnout. I think the the argument will be this is the check on you know yes. the liberal agenda would also be for Trump voters. They stole the White House. Don't let them steal the Senate. So they're going to get their turnout. But I, I think they both can be close. I'd, I'd give the Republicans a slight favorite there. But we know the numbers are there. And if you can generate both the kind of turnout and replicate the suburban story that we just saw you know, last week, we can win. So it's worth uh, the fight. I think that um, so here's where, one thing where Yes, he's going to have to get stuff done, which means, you know, maybe infrastructure, maybe immigration reform. Um, but listen, part of the, what I learned dealing with McConnell back in the day was he just doesn't give a shit. Like, you know, we now have the worst deficit and debt situation since World War II on his watch in a Republican yes, president. He's, yeah, he's a gonna seasonal say, deficit yeah, hawk. He's going to say, like, not a cent for anything. All we're yeah. going to do is cut, you know, domestic programs. Um, and he's um, not going to cooperate on anything if he thinks that that advantages himself for 2022, uh, where, you know, we have some very competitive Senate races. So uh, I think the cooperation there is going to be minimal. And you can say, well, maybe you could pick a Romney off here or Susan Collins there. There might be a little bit of that, but you don't control the Senate. So, um, uh, you know, McConnell's power here is almost absolute. So and I would have said, like, let's say we did win five or two House races to add to our margin and we didn't win the Senate. There's then there's two things. One is what is is there a like center play where you could get some cooperation with enough Republicans to pass stuff, but then you could also pass your kind of idealized idealized version of the world: climate, healthcare, tax. You know, we passed it in the House. We couldn't get it through the Senate. This is the compromise. I'm not sure with this narrow majority, you know, on health care, on taxes, on climate change, on immigration, um, we, you know, you can't lose that many Democrats. So even there, I think um, you're going to be challenged a little bit. Um, but, you know, where you can pass stuff in the House that is as close to your platform as you uh, desired, I think that's helpful for the base. But then the reality is if we don't win back the Senate, or even if we, let's say we get 50, a completely different world. But, you know, to get agreement between Joe Manchin and Ed Markey on stuff is not easy, as you know. Uh, and so, um, uh, you know, I think the, the if McConnell holds on to the Senate, because we're not successful winning both races in Georgia, the number of things that can happen legislatively, I think, is sadly, tragically infinitesimal. And McConnell won't care. Unemployment could go up. The pandemic can rage. The debt and deficit get out of control. Uh, senior uh, administration officials and even cabinet appointments not being filled. He doesn't care. 
He just right. doesn't care. Well, he will do what he thinks advantages his Himself. That's ability what I mean. right, right. to hang on to power. Right. He'll be looking at the next election in 2022. You know, what he did in 2009 was he calculated that there was a shitload of problems that had to be solved, and they were going to go on Obama's account. Right. And and the only thing that would he felt uh, diminish Republicans is if they cooperated and affirmed Obama's vision of a kind of postpartisan sort of attempt to solve problems. So he didn't uh, he didn't let him have that victory. Um, you know, I used to say um, that Obama faced the greatest uh, challenges since any president since Franklin Roosevelt, and it's it, I. I I've, I've said before, it's like the baseball steroid uh, era. You know, records don't last very long a- anymore. Uh, Biden, uh, you know, really is in that. He's going to face a raging uh, pandemic. Um, the economic problems are going to probably get w- worse again because of that. Um, and no cooperation from, there'll be no smooth, tra- there'll be no, or orderly transition of power, so that will make it more difficult uh, for him. And I, you know, as I watched him on election night, I was actually a grateful that he was willing to uh, sign up for this, but also um, and and happy for him, you know, that he that he is the forty sixth president. But man, what a sh- what a shit sandwich he's he's inheriting uh here and it reminded me of that night in 2000 and uh and eight when you and gibbs and i went over to see obama after he after the race was called i don't know if you remember this it's so so palpable to me um he was not he was not exuberant (laughs) no he was very sober And you could see sort of, you could almost see the lines etched in his face because he was contemplating the burdens that he has now, that, that, that had now descended on his shoulders. And I mean, honestly, I, I don't think I saw that leave him for eight years. I mean, I think from the time he got there to the time he left, the burdens of the president, I mean, he was obviously, there were moments of joy and levity and, but, um, but it, it is it it is really really hard, you know. People think, oh, that he won the prize, but the prize comes at a great cost, especially in a time of crisis. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with more of the Axe Files. And now back to the show. I also think the world we live in, so much of success is viewed not by the things you get done, but does it improve your party's political positioning or not? So you've got that added burden. Um, but yeah, I mean, you mentioned the pandemic, uh, the economy is going to get worse. We have a horrible debt and deficit situation. The climate clock is ticking even more ominously. Um, Russia is going to keep doing what they're doing, uh, as will China and North Korea. Um, so, um, yeah, it, it is, um, I didn't think, see a president in our lifetime inherit what Obama and Biden did when they came in, but this is, um, yeah, I think you have to go back to FDR really, um, somebody who, well, it's not just, challenge. let me just add one to your litany of, uh, burdens, the hammer blows 
that uh, of trust again uh, in institutions right. and rules and law, laws and and norms the the gutting of um sort of some of the uh stratas of government that you know you rely on when you uh you know both career people and you know obviously there's been terrible kind of uh distortions uh, among the political appointees and the the uh, fraying of global alliances you know for all of the stuff about china not um you know and how tough trump liked to say he was on china this been a this in on this has been a good four years for china in terms of their long-term oh, project of course, yeah. because he you know trump has created a vacuum of leadership in the world and they have opportunistically said and anything that weakens american democracy is is a good day for the chinese who hold up their model as the more pragmatic model for the 21st century um so he you know he just has repair work to do whichever direction he turns and it's 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 going to be tough for our old friend and we can you know I think we should shout from the rooftops about this because even though I think there's a general acknowledgement of that, and there's no doubt that some of the people who propelled Biden to the presidency really just wanted to turn the page on all the noise and the attacks. But, uh, you know, I think um, there's going to be frustration just because Washington may be divided. Um, the challenges are immense. Um, and, you know, people are going to be expecting results in their lives a little more quickly than we'll get, even with this news today. Now, the, the announcement by Pfizer is great on the vaccine, but, you know, it's pretty still a small uh, sample size. You know, let, let's not get over our skis too much. But the challenges of making sure that vaccine is trusted and distributed um, is going to be enormous, the logistical challenge there. Um, so um, I think we all have to give Biden um, some cover here. Uh, and both in terms of the scale of the challenges, but how complex it is. Um, and, you know, in a way, you know, if he had won back the Senate, if we had had the election of our dreams as a Democratic Party, add seats in the House, 53 to 55 in the Senate, um, I would much better prefer that world than not. But the expectations would have been enormous that you get the entire wish list right away. Everything yes. from the public well, we faced that. health. Right, right. You face that. Um, and by but, the way, you know, you said before Democrats, um, you know, it's not going to be easy to to uh, reconcile uh, Markey with a mansion. You know, it was Democrats who made it impossible to add a public option right. to the, uh, it wasn't Republicans. Um, so yeah, that's, you know, they represent different kinds of states. They have different interests. Um, yeah. So anyway, I'm sorry. I, I don't know uh, what we do about your last, you know, your last challenge though, because you know, we're, I, I let, so Trump's going to get 47% of the vote, let's say half, and that's probably too conservative believe all the things, um, you know, that's a huge percentage of the American population and everybody, for the most part, that's involved at the grassroots in Republican politics who believes the election was stolen. Um, you know, you, I don't know if you saw that New York Times story. Uh, I think it was Times with uh, a couple from Western Pennsylvania, a young couple who got involved in 16 in politics for the first time could have Trump. They stayed with it. And, you know, what this guy said was, listen, I'd be fine if we suspended elections for 20 years and just had Don Donald Trump and Don Jr. and Eric and Ivanka rule us for 20 years. That sounds crazy. I bet that's, you know, accepted by 15 or 20 percent of the country. So um, and, you know, Fox is now in Trump's crosshairs. But, you know, they're going to go back to what they're doing. Trump's going to be out there no matter what. Uh, and you already well, see the he may have his own field, media platform. Yeah. The 24 field is kneeling before Zod. You know, they can't. Yeah. 
you know, and so that's that's going to make it hard for Republicans to do anything with Joe Biden. Yeah. Uh, now, you'd like to say maybe McConnell's decided he's not going to run again and he doesn't give a shit, but I think he, he cares most about power. Um, and so even if he feels like maybe now's the time to do immigration reform, a lot of his members are going to be like, no way, I can't do that because that yeah. goes against the Trump base. I, I think that um, that is the reality. That is the reality. And and Biden is probably better better suited to deal with that reality than many others because yes. – he does have relationships. He does know the process, um, uh, but um, uh, but it's going to be it 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 is going to be hard. And you're right. I think not just Democrats. I mean, but Americans who are not, you know, subject to conspiracy theories and so on. Everyone should want want him to be able to succeed because it's not just about the success of a party. We're at a hinge moment on a lot of the issues that you mentioned, and we can't afford four years of gridlock and inaction. And he'll use his executive power. Some of that stuff won't won't uh, uh, won't have to wait for the Congress. But it's a it's a big challenge. Like I said before, uh, uh, big thanks to him uh, for yes. uh, at this stage in his life saying, "I'll do it. I'll take this on." Um, because uh, it's a momentous time. Yeah, with the court looming out there. So that's the other challenge is, um, and for me, you know, I would still um, be super aggressive on executive actions, even ones that you think ultimately may wind themselves to the court. But that's the other thing looming out there. Uh, and, and that may be a little bit of a cap on the progress we can make, even if we had won back the Senate. So, you know, that's the other dynamic. And we'll be living with that for decades, sadly. Yeah, quite a, that is a Trump legacy. Yeah. Uh, elected, if nothing else, elect, three of them. This is, and we're running out of time, but this is another concern. You have a president in Trump who is elected by fewer votes than his opponent. You have a Senate that represents less than a majority of Americans, uh, who, and they're responsible for three uh, seats on the Supreme Court that have swung the court to a place that's more conservative than we've seen in a century. Uh, and... Uh, completely out of step with the with the American you know majority of Americans and and, and the times uh, that's a real tension so yes. lots of lots of stuff to grapple with um, moving forward as we go out what tell me what you're up to I know you've been working with uh, on the uh, on the sort of uh, philanthropy and political action side of uh, of, of the Zuckerberg Chan uh, combine. Um, what, what's what's next for you? Yeah, well, yeah, helping them with um, you know their advocacy efforts, including some ballot initiatives. Beat back a really um, uh, terrible ballot initiative out here that would have uh, reversed some of the criminal justice reform that's been made in the state. So that was great. We we're very involved in Prop 15, which is an effort to uh, rebalance the commercial taxation side here in the aftermath of Prop 13. It hasn't been called yet. It's down a little bit. Um, but uh, we always knew that would be a tough effort. And then, you know, I was helping acronyms. Well, in California, the ballots come in for several for weeks. weeks. Right. So yeah. Prop 15 has not been called yet. It's down. For now. those who I, don't haven't had enough of election. Right. Night, you can you kind of got to wait till, you know, post Thanksgiving <laughs> to know what happens. Um, and, you know, I was very happy to help acronym a progressive nonprofit who did a lot of uh, digital work um, at swing voters and then really focused on younger, low information voters um, for the last couple months. So. That was a bright and, spot, know, by the way. The, yeah. the portion of younger voters who it was participated great. was uh, 
up several as points. we talk about suburban voters and ter- like both the voting the turnout the vote share and you know his vote share biden's vote share if the exits are right is gonna be higher than ours was in 12 <laughs> okay, yeah joe biden uh more than obama's and the activism which again is harder to measure but it's connected to election results so young people deserve a huge amount of credit for yeah. what they did both in 18 and 20 and hopefully that st- you know to me so much of the next decade will depend on that is this activism that really got accelerated with trump um how much of that gets maintained and if it gets maintained um, I think we're going to win a lot more elections than we lose over the next decade. Good. Let's uh, let's you know, go out on a hopeful note. But it reminds us, you know, how, you know, this is a divided country. We're reminded of that again. You just pointed out the structural advantages they have. We have not changed the Supreme Court, you know, the composition of the Senate, the Electoral College. It's going to be hard to do. And so there needs to be people who are putting their shoulder to the wheel on all those things. You know, but until those things happen, we have to win by the rules that they are set. And so, like, if you look at 2022, given the structural advantages the Republicans have in the Senate, you know, it wasn't too long ago, David, as you know, we had both senators in the Dakotas, yes. senators in Louisiana, both yeah. in Arkansas. Like, we have Wisconsin up in Pennsylvania. Those are not easy states for us to win. We have to win them. You do not have a Senate race that you can waste if you're a Democrat right now. You just don't because your ability to win. We just saw the South Carolinas, um, the Texases. We're not there right now. Uh, And so you have to win every blue contest and every purple contest. You just have to Um, because probably the natural state of things right now is the Republicans always having 54 to 56 senators. That's my view. Um, so we, we have to make sure we, we, we win these uh, races in 22. One of the interesting shifts uh, on that was, you know, now all the mountain state senators and, you know, from Arizona up north uh, are Democrats. Um, and that reflects the shifting nature of our right. uh, politics, you know, with Kelly and Hickenlooper picking up those seats. Um, so uh, we, we will, at least in that southern tier, Obviously, Montana did not uh, did not tip that way. Anyway, Pluff, uh, you're the best, uh, and your it's always always good to Even see. Even though you. we were on opposite networks, I I always uh, follow carefully what you're saying about. And obviously, you and, and I talk all the time, but it was uh, I felt good, you know that 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 you know. While I think we probably both thought the election would be a little more positive for Democrats, um, you know, we were grounded in the reality of Trump's turnout. And, uh, you know, that's the thing that happened. And again, I just when you, you know, tipping your hat to Biden, uh, which I agree with both getting in the ring and getting the job done. Trump put put enough votes up here that it took a Herculean effort. And again, Absolutely. so many Americans, you know, were part of that, thankfully. But, you know, this ended up being a really hard election to win. Yeah. And and you're right. I mean, at the S at the at the core, the just deluge of Americans coming out under the worst circumstances. Oh, it's so inspiring to make themselves to make that that is that is that is the essence of American democracy, and it was really beautiful to see. It was beautiful to see because in this country, uh, the people still have the last word, and they exercised it. And whether the president accepts it or not, um, the reality is clear. And that was. That was an inspiring thing to see. Do you so. think he will ultimately acknowledge the reality of what's happened? I think that he will acknowledge it in so far as he will have to leave and he will <laughs> leave. But I don't think it's part of his uh, brand to uh, accept defeat. I mean, I think um, 
his is a politics of agreement. It's it's really predicated on the fact that the system is rigged and that we have to uh, do you know that anything goes to try and uh, and, and win and and win control and keep power. And you know he's going to leave here, and I think that he want he's going to continue to want to be a force. And it's better to leave as the aggrieved guy who thinks who says the election was stolen than the 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 loser who has to acknowledge that the American people fired him. I just don't think he, for for political and personal reasons, I don't think he'll do it. So um, we, we shall see. I mean, all of the antics in between now and the inauguration will also make Biden's job harder, but he will be the president of the United States, and there will be a big change in Washington. Anyway, Pluff, great right, to X. be with you. Good Talk to, to you, you soon. All right, see you, brother. Thanks. Thank you for listening to The Axe Files, brought to you by the University of Chicago Institute of Politics and CNN Audio. The executive producer of the show is Emily Stanitz. The show is also produced by Miriam Annenberg, Jeff Fox, Hannah McDonald, and Allison Siegel. And special thanks to our partners at CNN, including Courtney Coop, Ashley Lusk, and Megan Marcus. For more programming from the IOP, visit politics.uchicago.edu. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.